Welcome back to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. Our focus today is an issue of great environmental importance, which is the destruction of areas along riverbanks during severe floods, and about what can be done to prevent this type of devastation. In May and October of 2015, there was heavy rainfall following months of drought in central Texas. This resulted in flooding on the Blanco River in Wimberley, Texas. Twelve people were killed, some injured, and hundreds lost their homes. The record flooding resulted in huge surges of water, mud, and debris. This debris included tree trunks and tree limbs that had been swept away along the riverbank. All of this, moving at high speed, took out entire homes, roads, and bridges. The area continues the process of recovery, and a volunteer organization of master naturalists have been a big part of that through projects to help repair the damage along the riverbanks and to replant trees, grasses, and sedges that will help mitigate future flooding. Our guest is a master naturalist in Hayes County. She is Christine Middleton, who writes a column for the Wimberley View newspaper called Healing on the Blanco. She is also the leader of a new master naturalist project called Flood Recovery and Community Protection. Welcome to Mothering Earth, Christine. Some listeners may not know what master naturalists are, so can you start by telling us that and also what it is that master naturalists do? Yes, the Master Naturalist Program is jointly sponsored by Texas Parks and Wildlife and AgriLife Extension, and their goal is to to do beneficial management for natural resource areas by having a core of trained volunteers who um, who are willing to to help with the effort, and they the master naturalists do things like um, they're the people at, who are at Jacob's Well have been building the trails and removing invasives. They've been doing move, the removal of invasives also at um, Blue Hole and doing lots of planting. The library planting, the nature garden that was planted that last fall was a master naturalist project jointly with the CAPS. So there's lots of different things. The column I write is, is part of part of my 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 contribution too. So it's it's a it's a very it's a lot of things you you can do. So it's wide ranging. Wide ranging. And and these are projects that, that the master naturalists come up with. So an individual can come up with a project and propose it. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So what attracted you to become a master naturalist? Well, I was always a tomboy. I climb trees. I love to be out in the park and in, in 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 the park near us. And uh, then I worked behind a desk for years and years and years. And I still liked being outside. My gardens look great. My inside of my house didn't look so great. <laughs> but um, so when I moved to Wimberley and found out the Master Naturalist program, I thought it sounds great and it's been perfect. Yeah. So what uh, now? You had to go to uh, or through certain training to become a master naturalist. Tell me about that. Yeah, there's basically a, to be a master naturalist, you have to go through 40 hours. It's spread over a whole year of training. Some of a lot of it is classroom work, and they bring in experts from around the state who talk about in depth about about subjects relating to nature, and then some of it is actually going out in the field, sometimes with somebody guiding a hike and. We did one, I remember, look, looking at butterflies and 
it's, it's, it's really interesting to go with somebody who really knows what they're looking at. So, so when you, uh, as you go through the program, you're learning different things that you'll then be applying when you, uh, I guess, graduate and become a master naturalist. Yeah, because one of the biggest one of the biggest things we do is educate people too. So we we can talk to them and, and, and explain the processes, uh, identify plants, um, and different different master naturalists gravitate to different pieces of the natural environment. Some are real experts on invasives, and some become real experts on. Uh, butterflies and um, and all, all sorts of other things. So, is it fair to say that the area that you've kind of adopted is the riparian area? And and can actually can you define for us what is riparian? What does that mean? Uh, riparian area is the area near a river or stream, and it's a unique area. It's probably only about one percent of the land mass, but it's a very important area to the health of the river or stream. It's got unique plants that grow only there, if you'll notice. Um, and, uh, and that's what it is. It, what I'm interested in not only in the riparian areas, but also in what they call the uplands, which is what everything else is called. And that's the area that's more further away from the water, but also contributes water to the, to the river or stream. So, uh, so talk to us about this project. Now, you, uh, it's called the Flood Recovery and Community community protection project and this was your proposal or your idea well what happened is is we we were already doing after the flood the master naturalist started doing some work and we, we've been doing it ever since the flood but more recently we started to realize we needed to define better what we were doing we also needed some clarity of what we could and couldn't do and decided it also the need to it's nice to know how much effort is being put into something and it was just time to, to do a project, and I decided I, I, wanted, I would take it on. The purpose of the project is, is to serve um, as, as a umbrella for all the things we can do that relate to flood recovery and community protection, like, um, well, recruiting volunteers to do things. Um, we, uh, when the workshop was here recently, um, we recruited volunteers to help with the setup, with the registration. Um, we we helped with the plant uh, distribution. It's 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 a really a myriad of things, and it's 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 only it's now in the process of evolving as to all the things things we will do. We would want to do a lot of education of people because people don't understand the importance of the riparian areas and how they work. You really have to understand how the river works in order to. Um, in order to understand what what's right, what the right things are to do, right, right. So, uh, and and how does that how does the education piece work? Is, or I, I understand that it's in progress. But what <laughs> kinds of things do you think uh, you'll be doing? We, well, we've already started some of the education things right after the flood. We started trying to educate people about not moving woody debris. That was the most important thing there, um, and. We whenever we we talk to landowners we, when we went on the retreat project, we uh, talked to landowners and talked to them about the importance. We were hoping to be able to do site visits in the future and and talk to landowners. Um, we're also about connecting the experts who talk to the landowners with the with the landowners, and that's we're the sort of the bridge to the from the community to the landowners. Right, right. 
I'm here with uh, Christine Middleton, who's a Hayes County Master Naturalist, and we're talking about uh, the damage that was done along the Blanco River uh, due to some severe flooding in May and October of last year. And um, I'd like to go back to uh, those days, actually, and ask you if you can kind of uh, describe the scene, maybe, as you... Uh, went out shortly after the flooding began, or after the flooding uh, happened, and and what kind you know if you can tell us what kinds of things did you see? Who did you talk to uh, along the river? Well, after the flood, let me back up just a minute, mm-hmm. minute, minute more. Um, after the flood, we were in it. We had a meeting, uh, and there were a bunch of master naturalists in it, and we were looking for something we could do for the community, and we. We were looking for something that wasn't being done. And and I had been at a riparian workshop just a few weeks before and was struck with one of the um, speakers talking about the uh, woody, woody uh, debris from a flood being the rebar of the new riverbank. And we talked about that, and we decided that that's what we needed to do. We needed to make people understand why they shouldn't clear up all the wood, that they should leave it until the experts told them what to do. And um, when we, when we, so we actually got out there trying to get the message out. What we saw, well, first, the first thing you saw was the devastation in the homes. I mean, there was nothing more. And then you saw the, the trees and, and, and everything else. Um, it, it was just, it was just amazing. I actually went, went to a lot of places from flight, uh, flight acres all the way up to Fisher Store Road. Mm-hmm. And saw the devastation. It's, it's nature's fury is amazing, <laughs> right? Um, but um, and what what were the homeowners along the river doing? Well, the homeowners were just in shock. It was what the volunteers were doing. There were lots of volunteers. Lots of well-meaning people came into Wimberley, and they were trying to do things. Uh, Sometimes they were doing a little too much. They were cutting down trees that shouldn't have been cut down. They were um, removing a lot of woody debris the, to the point that a lot of the homeowners were putting up signs, "Do not cut" signs. <laughs> so, um, so that was that was a, a uh, concern. So uh, it I, sounds like there's a lot of education yet to be done. Yes, there is a lot of education left to be done. Um, and there are a lot of forces coming in to help with that education and also to help just put things put things right. Um, the um, the one the one big project that's already happened is the retreat project, mm-hmm. which is it's a bunch of guy uh, well gals and guys who ride motors ride ride bicycles. and they some of them are arborists, and they go to places that have had a disaster. And they replant the trees, and they feel like that's what they need to do for the landowners who don't have time really to think about it yet. And it makes them so happy. And it, that was the amazing thing about the retreat project here is that the smiles on the faces of the landowners were just totally rewarding. Um, we also had the, we helped recruit the local volunteers for that for that tree planting, and uh, we had 13 CAP students involved. And Caps being Caps Catherine Ann Porter School, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they were incredible, and they 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 learned more about planting a tree than 
they ever knew they needed to know, and they, right. they really they really worked hard and enjoyed it. I assume they came in with two hundred and seventeen, I believe the number was trees, of various types that had been donated, and they they got in touch with thirty seven landowners, and the, for this year's planting, they will keep coming back. They will come back for the next several years. They've been back to Bastrop for for the past four years, and they they are planning to come back next year to plant some more and for some more landowners because they had actually had more people request trees than. Um, than they were able to do. You're listening to Mothering Earth, and it's time for a break. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here with Christine Middleton, who is a Hayes County Master Naturalist. You were telling us about the groups who came to Wimberley after the recent flooding to provide trees and other plants and workshops. This year, there have been two workshops held in Wimberley. The most recent one was just a few few weeks ago, and... um, there are lots of organizations involved that are that are have very have doing different pieces of it. They're not it's not one project for those organizations, but they are coordinating among them. There's um, Texas Parks and Wildlife. There's the Tree Folks. There's the Hill Country Alliance. There's the Nature Conservancy. There's Texas A&M Forest Service and. Um, I think that's so. Now, how did how did these groups oh, get involved? Wildfire centers. They they all had step, separate things they wanted to do, and they just got together and started coordinating. All of them uh, want to want to bring resources to our community. Then there's Texas Parks and Wildlife is the most active right now, and they were just in town, and there was a whole day workshop, and at the end they gave away a whole lot of plants. In fact. Over the period, they're getting more plants in, and over the period, they're going to be giving away about fifteen thousand plants. They're, they are they are sedges and grasses um, that like to grow very close to the water. They're like a real wet environment, and they have three low-growing sedges and one um, very tall one very tall grass that's very good at holding the waters back. Um, they they all. One of the interesting things that happens with floods is that um, the waters will will rush over areas with without don't have obstacles. But if there are obstacles, it'll slow the water down. That's some people marveled after the flood about how their um, their Saint Augustine grass was largely undamaged. And I have actually heard some say, somebody say, maybe I should put in more St. Augustine. Well, it wasn't damaged because the floodwaters were just flowing over it. It wasn't doing anything to help slow the water down. There was a good example of what switchgrass can do at the library. And, and some people may remember that the pass, the, the crushed granite pass there were washed out by the Halloween flood. Well, when I went down to the bottom of the path and there's, there was switchgrass at the start of the rain garden there, 
the, the crushed granite hadn't gotten past the switchgrass because it's had, the water had slowed down, and when the water slows down, all of the sediment drops out. So there's just a big pile of it right there. Um, so, um, so anyway, Texas Parks and Wildlife is, has given away a lot of plants. They have a lot of them now housed at Montesino, and they have more on order, and they will be getting more in, and there will be more giveaways. I don't have details on those giveaways, but as, as they become available, we will make them available to right. the community. You don't have to be just on the Blanco. You can be on a, to be part of the giveaway, that you can be on a tributary, um, like, uh, or even a, even a wet weather creek. I'm on a wet weather creek, but I have a wet spot, the spot that tastes perennially wet back there. And I, I took plants back there and planted them the other day. And the interesting thing I found was two of the plants varieties already existed back there. So they had already found the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and all of that will help slow the waters down getting into the Blanco even. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, so let's talk about that um, because uh, one of the things we didn't really talk about earlier is that uh, some of, at least some of the homeowners along the river do plant uh, St. Augustine grass or some kind of grass because what they want is a nice area where they can sit out um, undisturbed by grasses, by tall grasses or by trees and such. Um, but what... Why is that? I think you've touched on some of that, but if we can go into a little more depth of how that works to actually be dangerous in a flood. Well, I think we sort of covered the fact that it doesn't mm -hmm. slow the waters down. But the um, the bigger question is what can we do? Steve Nelly, who, who has introduced every one of the workshops. Who is he? He, he is a retired riparian specialist. He says it well. He says, you know, we have our human values. And in the case of Wimberley, a lot of it is the aesthetics of the river and also the access to the river for recreation. Um, and what sometimes we have, but the river has functions and we need to think about the river's functions and how the river functions and what the river needs. And we need to balance our values against those of the, the needs of the river. And once we do that, there's ways to do that. If you go to Blue Hole, for instance, you can see how they solve the problem. They, they do have a, a, a St. Augustine grass area for recreation. They've provided controlled access to the water. You don't need 100 feet of your property to get to the water. You can have four or five feet that you can get to the water with the natural plants along the edge along the edges for the rest of it. Right. Um, also, some of the, the, the grasses, you know, people say, oh, it's going to block my view of the river. Well, some of the tall grasses might. But the, the grasses that they gave away at the workshop don't grow more than three or four inches tall, and that's not going to block your view right. of the river. Right. I'm here with Christine Middleton, Hayes County Master Naturalist. And one of the things we haven't talked about is the lands away from the river or some distance from the river, not along the riverbank, which we call uplands. Um, what are things that people who live in those areas can do that would mitigate flooding uh, or mitigate the effects of flooding? Yeah, and, and there is a lot, particularly the two floods were very different that we had. The one in May was actually caused by a huge amount of rain that happened west of Blanco. 
There's not a whole lot we could have done on that one, although we could have reduced the amount of water maybe somewhat. But on the Halloween flood, that was a whole lot of rain that fell in Wimberley. And the water that starts in the uplands um, makes its way, and the speed with which it makes its way down to the Blanco makes a difference in, in, in the peak flows. I recently saw a study that someone had done, another master naturalist, where he looked at what would happen if there had been 20, 20% less water being shed off the uplands and, and 50%. And it wasn't, the, what happens is the peak levels were much less because it, the same amount of water fell, but it, it, it shed off the land much more slowly and it spread out so you didn't get quite the same peak. And it's the peak that's the, really the damaging part of the flood. So there are things people can do in the uplands um, that can help flooding. There are th- we used to think of stormwater and think we need to get off our land as quickly as possible. That's not, that's not necessarily true. We can, the new philosophy, and Lady Bird Johnson talked about it a little bit at the last workshop, is a concept called low-impact development. And the idea with low-impact development is that we work with the land and we try to keep as much water on the land as we can. And you can do things like swales where, you, where it holds the water for a period of time. Um, if you look at what... Um, HEB did with their parking lot. You can see that they that they take the water, and they take they take it. It goes through the curb cuts, and it goes into a swale into into a, a swale, and then it, it is it's put into a tank that it, they are now using for their landscaping. If too much rain falls, it actually overflows into that grassy area, and then. It is instead of going all of a sudden into the blanco, it's slowly re- released uh, over time, and it spreads out the, um, the the peak. If you can kind of describe a swale, a swale is just a depression in the in the land, and I mean it, it happens naturally sometimes. Right. But if if you're building, um, it can, you can use swales as a as a way to divert. Um, water and it'll hold water for a short period of time and then it'll soak in. The interesting thing, a, a smaller version of a swale would be a rain garden. Um, there are there are a lot of Texas plants that like a little extra water every time it rains, and and you can cre- increase your plant diversity by having de- things planted in depressions. I've started doing that and finding that I can I my, the plants like that. Extra extra water when you get an inch of rain and they get three inches of rain. What do you think is the most important message that you can give people who live along the river? I think we need to rethink our relationship with the river. And um, we need to... Um, I, I'd use the analogy of, of being uh, in a situation where somebody has, has suffering from an illness and recovering, and you are the caretaker and we need to think of ourselves as the caretakers of our river that is, is trying to heal. Um, in particular, what we need to do is stop doing things that hinder the, the recovery of the river, things like mowing to the edge. We also need 
to do things to help the river heal. Um, there's things we can do that do for that, like um, we can um, we can retain some wood. And one of the fears people have about retaining wood is that it'll become a projectile in the next in the next flood. One of the things they suggested at the last workshop is if that's your fear, you need to you can, you can chain it down. You can put hold it down with rebar. Pretty soon, actually, what will happen is the plant as the native plants grow up around it, they'll hold it in place. And as soil drops out, it'll start getting buried, and it'll it'll be solidly in place. But it, if you're concerned, that can be done. And you need to control foot traffic. And, and, and find a way to say the foot traffic goes here and not there, not use heavy, heavy equipment down there because that compacts the soil. Right. Things like that we need to start th thinking about doing and thinking about our river as something we are, we are taking care of. Some great ideas for all of us on slowing down rushing rainwater and in that way helping to prevent severe and even catastrophic flooding. You know, I'd love to hear from you, so please send any comments or suggestions for future shows to me at gardentoad at vcs.com. That's gardentoad, one word, at v-c-y-e-s dot com. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth. Mm -hmm.